Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Kingdom Minded. God wants us to remember that His kingdom and its values are not just things we pick and choose. Instead, God wants us to invest all our life in the one thing that will last forever, His kingdom. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Good to hear back from you. We're starting a new series called Kingdom Minded, Investing in What Lasts Today. And we'll be talking about what is important to the kingdom of God today. And, and as we start off, I, I want to share with you something that uh, Tom Rayner has written. Tom is a, a pastor, a, a, an observer of church. You might call him a sociologist. And he writes uh, in his new book that's going to be released, released later this fall about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, two hours before boarding a connecting flight home, I arrived at a busy airport too weary to read or to do work. So instead, I just simply sat in my chair near the gate and I observed people. And I was amazed at how many people walked with their heads down, staring at their smartphones. And it struck me how quickly smartphones have changed our culture. We're on distraction overload. He goes on, he says, I recently spoke to a man who was deeply concerned about how busy his family had become for reasons he couldn't explain. He and his wife feel compelled to keep their three young children in sports year-round. Whenever they take a family vacation, it's filled with activities. They're involved in countless events at school, and they're all caught up in social media. We're just too busy to enjoy life and each other, the young father lamented. Activities control us. My wife and I spend more time on social media than reading the Bible. It's pathetic. Rainer goes on. He says, this is not something that can just be cleaned up around the edges. Embracing our identity as Christ followers means we have to shift our priorities, both for ourselves and for our families. We have an opportunity to exemplify an abundant life that Jesus promised, but not if we keep chasing after the way of the world. Instead, we have to grasp the significance of our identity in Christ, and we must grab hold of what it really means to say, I am a Christian. Now, as I read that, I was thinking about my own life, and and there was a time in my life when I would, if you would ask me if I was a Christian, this would have been my sincere response. Yes, I go to church. I mean, that was the way I logically saw it. In my spiritual immaturity, I reasoned, I go to church, therefore I am a Christian, which is probably just as crazy and makes as little sense as saying, I'm standing in my garage, therefore I'm a car. It it doesn't make sense at all just to say that because I'm in this building, I'm a Christian. So if we say we're a Christian, if we say we're a follower of Jesus, we really need to understand and embrace what it means to say we are a follower of Jesus. Now, Jesus, in his sermon on the mount, said that we're supposed to be kingdom-minded. And he put it this way, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, to be kingdom-minded is to be concerned about the things of the kingdom of God, which means we're concerned about the things that will last forever, the things that truly have eternal value. 
And this is ultimately the purpose in which God created us for. To be kingdom-minded is to be concerned about his kingdom and to make sure that we pour into, in other words, we invest in the things that will last forever. Now, I recognize that when you hear the word invest, most of you think about financial investing. But the reality is, is that no matter how much money someone invests in the stock market or in their business or into a house or a hobby, none of those investments will last forever with us. Because one day we're going to leave this world and it's all going to stay behind. But when we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in things that truly last and in the kingdom of God, those things will go on in eternity. Those investments will multiply both here on earth and in heaven. Now, if you think that sounds complicated, I want to put your mind at rest because Jesus tells us how to be kingdom-minded and to invest in what lasts in, very, in two very clear and very simple but deep statements. When he was questioned by someone who actually was very kingdom-minded, very religious about what was of ultimate importance, he said, if you're going to be kingdom-minded, then the most important thing you need to do is to Love God with all that you are. And then he said, a second most important thing that you ought to do is, you, you, if you're going to be kingdom-minded, you need to love others like you love yourself. And to make, it clear, to make it clear how important those two statements were, Jesus added something to finish it off. He said, if you keep those two commands, then you'll actually keep all of the Hebrew law, the, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, and you'll follow all of the teachings of the prophets just by doing those two things, simple but deep. Now, if those statements sound familiar to you, that's good because hopefully you've recognized that those statements are something that you see here at Valleybrook because our vision statement is very simple and clear. Love God, love people, change the world. While they're simple statements, when you live them out, you'll see how deep they are and you'll see that they'll change the world. They will change the world because they'll reorient your worldview from being focused on self to being focused on the kingdom of God. So let's sort of level set things about human realities and just put it out on the table. When it comes to investing, we, like to, we don't like to invest. We want to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And that's sort of the consumeristic culture that we live in. When it comes to financial investing, though, it requires that you put things aside for the future. Instead of consuming all of your paycheck, you put a portion aside for an emergency or for retirement, something that will be beneficial later. When it comes to investing in the kingdom of God, it means... You use your time, your talent, and your treasure not on yourself, but you invest it in ways that will grow God's kingdom. So this morning, let's look at how Jesus tells us that we're supposed to invest in what matters and be kingdom-minded. I've sort of already laid it out there. The first thing he says is to love God. When he was asked by this very religious, kingdom-minded person, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Luke adds to love God with all your strength. You can't miss here, though, the, the clear prioritization of life 
that Jesus is laying out. He's saying we're to love God with all that we are. We're to love God above all things and above all people, to put God at the top priority in our lives. So how do we love God with all that we are? We're going to look at some scriptures that that make it very clear. The first thing we'll learn in scripture is that we love God reciprocally. Uh, The Bible says it this way. We love because he first loved us. We understand what love is by recognizing how much God has loved us. Our love then is reciprocal. When someone blesses us with love or forgiveness or a gift and we understand what they've done for us, we want to reciprocate. We want to give back. We want to bless them in return. And it's important for us to take that in when we realize what God has done for us and understand that this is a relationship where we have been loved without conditions, and we need to respond back to God, loving him and loving others as we follow him. So loving God then means one of the things that we do when we love him with all that we are is we love him reciprocally after, like he has loved us. We also love God extravagantly. In the Gospel of Luke, we see a woman who exemplifies how we should love God in this way. This woman has experienced Jesus' forgiveness for her sins, and and it has a profound effect on her. She is moved, and she wants to show her love. She wants to reciprocate. And so she shows her love with an act of extravagant worship and devotion. Let me read to you how Jesus relayed what she did. He said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. What she did for Jesus was extravagant. Now, Let's get a little bit into first century culture. Uh, The washing of feet was both a a normal custom and a needed custom in the first century. Because remember, the roads weren't paved. They were dirty. They were dusty. And at times, they were littered with the waste of animals that traveled on them. And so it was customary. It was customary hospitality to have the feet of guests washed when they entered your home. Now, normally, this would have been done by uh, a slave or a servant. Uh, And uh, if your guests were invited into your home for dinner, the washing of feet was even more important. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen in this this situation. Now, the reason why it would be important if you're going to have a meal in the first century, tables weren't at the height that you and I are used to. They were low to the ground. And when you ate at these tables, you sat on the floor. Sitting on the floor would put your feet your dirty feet, if they hadn't been washed, in close proximity to your food and and to the person sitting next to you. Really something that might not be very enticing. Uh, So it was normal to have a slave wash the feet of the guest when they came to dine at your house. Now, for whatever reason, this didn't happen in this situation. But this woman came in and she washed Jesus' feet. She, she loved him extravagantly, over the top. She didn't bring a basin of water and a towel to wash his feet. She used her tears, weeping over the forgiveness that she had received from Jesus. And then she 
dried his feet with her hair, and she kissed his feet. And then on top of all of that, she brought this bottle of costly perfume, and she poured it out. What she did was extravagant. It was startling. It's noteworthy that we still talk about it now over 2,000 years later. She gave the Son of God her very best and loved him extravagantly. She set an example for us that we should love God with all that we are. So love God extravagantly. We should also love God sacrificially. So going back to that woman, let's think about that. Love actually requires sacrifice. Every loving relationship that we're in requires some type of sacrifice, whether it's a parent-child relationship, a spousal relationship, or a significant relationship with somebody else that, that you care deeply about. If any of us is going to be in a significant relationship, we will have to make sacrifices. We cannot have our way all of the time. And when it's with somebody we love, we're willing to make that compromise. We're willing to make that sacrifice. The woman in this situation sacrificed a lot to love Jesus with this demonstration. Honestly, by caring for the feet of Jesus the way she did, she sacrificed her dignity. But then she also brought this costly perfume, and she used it for an unusual purpose. Now, this unnamed woman in this story is referred to by scholars as sinful. So it's just a polite way for them to say that she was a prostitute. Now, without being too indelicate, this woman would have used perfume in her occupation, but instead she sacrificed the use of this perfume by pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. She loved the Son of God with all that she was. Sacrificially, she gave us an example of what that looks like. So we love God reciprocally. We love God extravagantly. We love God sacrificially. We're going to love him with all that we are. We also love God relationally. The, the Bible tells us that about our connection between us and God in relational terms. It says this, whoever loves God is known by God. Now, to know someone is to be in a relationship with them. And this is what Jesus said. He said, this is the way to have eternal life. To love you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one who, sent you, who was sent to earth. Now, so we get to know God. We get to know God and love God by spending time listening to him. Let him speak to us through the presence of God's word, by reading scripture, by listening to it. We also get to know God by pouring out our hearts to him, by talking to him through prayer. Communication is key to being in any relationship and so we have been blessed with the ability to have communication with the God of the universe, to be in a relationship with God, to, to love God relationally. And so loving God with all that we are means that we pursue that relationship with God. It also means that we love God obediently. Think about this. In, in loving relationships there are some non-negotiable commitments that we make. 
that have to be obeyed if you're going to maintain the relationship. Spouses must commit to being faithful to one another if they're going to be in a, in a unconditional loving relationship. Friends have to commit to holding what friends share with one another in confidence. You don't want to be a gossip, so you, that's a non-negotiable commitment that you make. And if we're going to love God, that means we're going to make and keep some, some non-negotiable commitments to God. Now, as I noted earlier, in his kingdom-minded orientation, Jesus boiled those commitments down to loving God with all that we are and loving others like we love ourselves. In another place, Jesus simplifies it even more, telling his followers that, if you love me, obey my commandments. So this is an essential part of loving God with all that we are. It's a statement that's echoed over the years by the apostles. John wrote, Love God, loving God means keeping his commandments. And as you read the Bible, you'll see what God teaches us is that we need to understand that our love for God is demonstrated in following or obeying what he teaches us. To be kingdom-minded and love God with all that we are means that we will love God reciprocally, extravagantly, sacrificially, relationally, and, and obediently. It means that there cannot be anything else in our life that competes for our love for God. Everything else has to be below that. The Bible tells us this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in them. That's a great scripture to reflect on. So loving God with all that we are means that we will invest our lives in God and the things of his kingdom. God gave us this thing called the church to help us gather with others to love him in all of the ways that I just talked about and, and to build his kingdom. So that requires for us to invest with our time, talent, and treasure in the kingdom of God. During the pandemic, I remember I was on a, a Zoom call with uh, a bunch of people. And uh, while we were on the conversation, uh, one person shared with me that she was attending three different churches, each for a different reason. And as I listened, I understood her reasoning, but I also saw through it. She was consuming in multiple churches instead of investing in one, as Scripture tells us to do. So she liked one thing in one church and another thing in another church and another thing in a, in a third church. And it, it, it's not unlike what we see in our everyday life. You know, you may go to Target for one product, but you may go to Walmart for another product, or you may go to Stop and Shop for another. That's what our consumer culture tells us to do. But that's not what the body of Christ calls us to do. We're supposed to invest in what God has placed in our presence, the body of Christ. Yes, there are multiple churches, but we find one and we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in that. Now, the reality is this, is that this consumer mindset that uh, was heightened in that Zoom call, it was something that is not new. We live in a consumeristic culture, and we've seen this for decades. But the, the pandemic opened it up to be seen in a different way. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to consume God's love. We're called to invest in him and invest in his kingdom. 
So we love God with all that we are. We also love people. Jesus said we should invest in what matters and be kingdom-minded. And first he said, love God with all that we are. Then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think it's always important to remember how Jesus defined who our neighbor is. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was asked with regard to the commands of God, which is the greatest one? And, and he answered it by telling the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because when he got to the point where he said, you love God with all that you are, and then love your neighbor as yourself, someone from the crowd said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus defined who a neighbor was. He gives a radical definition of who the neighbor is. And the neighbor is this. It's not somebody from our own clan, from our own group, somebody that we just like, somebody that we get along with. He defined our neighbor as any person who's in need of help. So that means everybody's our neighbor. It's kingdom-minded. So with that kingdom-minded vision, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, the evidence that will prove that you're my follower is that you love others. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving all people. See the focus? The focus is on the other person, not on us. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he knew that all of us know how we want to be loved, how we want to be treated. Therefore, we should know to give that same type of love and compassion and treatment to others. Recently, I've been reading a book by Pastor Albert Tate, and the book's called How We Love Matters. And he tells several stories about how He's been learning about how people who helped him understand what it means to love others. He and his wife had a friend who uh, had a gluten allergy, and she couldn't eat many of the things they cooked. So they said, you know what? We want to include her, and so we're going to learn to cook gluten-free so she can be included around our table and be a part of our family meals. He said, you know, I, I realized that I had some friends who had relatives who had disabilities. And all my life, I had heard people use derogatory terms about people with disabilities. And, and when I realized how that hurt my friends' hearts, I began to examine myself and, and look at the kind of words that I've said. And I, I changed the way I speak. Albert Tate writes this. As we learn more about one another, it changes how we show up and changes how we love. We begin making adjustments to include more at the table because we love them and want them there, and that's part of loving others well. If we're going to love each other, we have to be willing to change our menus, our language, our hearts, and our biases. We have to be willing to change, period, not based on our comfort or convenience, but based on our neighbor's need. We have to see and lighten their burdens rather than stand up by, rather than stand by our rights and not change because there's something much bigger happening here. God has made it abundantly clear that how we love one another matters. So loving like this is kingdom-minded. 
It's investing in what lasts. That means that we need to invest in people. Thanks to God's promise of eternal life through our faith in Jesus, our souls will last forever with God. And it's our calling as people who have embraced the truth of Jesus to do whatever it takes to see that more people will spend eternity with God. Now, I think we're all fully aware that in this season in history, loving others as we love ourselves has been more challenging than it's ever been. Our culture is more polarized than ever before over politics, personalities, and positions. But at the end of the day, and at the end of our lives, here's the truth. None of those things are going to matter. Because Jesus makes it clear that what matters is in the kingdom of God is loving God and loving other people so that they can spend eternity with God. In this lifetime, we can disagree as long as we can be loving with one another. Because as followers of Jesus, how we love matters. To be kingdom-minded and to invest in what matters means that we're going to follow Jesus' command to love God with all that we are and to love people as we want to be loved. And if we do that, it'll change the world. Now, before Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven, he gave his followers a kingdom-minded mission to invest in the things that will last. For over 2,000 years, this commission has been understood by Christ's followers to be the marching orders of the church, to be the marching orders of every single follower of Jesus, to invest in what lasts forever, and that is the souls of other humans. This is what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we invest in God's kingdom by helping people come to know God by believing in Jesus. And we invest in God's kingdom by helping people grow with God by teaching them to follow Jesus. And this is a commission not for a few, but for all Christ followers. We're all called to invest in fulfilling this commission. Now, before anybody can object and say, well, and I'm, not, I'm not an evangelist. I, I'm not a teacher. Let me share with you the, the Bible's vision for how we're all supposed to do our part. The Apostle Paul write, writes about how God wants us to use each one of us in his kingdom vision, God's kingdom vision, to invest in the kingdom and to do our part. We read this. In his grace, God has given us different gifts by doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Now, the reality is this, is that that's just a... a a small snippet of what we would call the spiritual gifts that God pours out on those who believe in him and follow him. It's not an exhaustive list. The reality is that we've all been gifted to do certain things well, and we need to do it for the sake of building God's kingdom, for the sake of helping people find the truth about Jesus. 
And the reality is this, is sometimes we're going to be called to serve in areas where we're not actually gifted, but that's because there's a need. And sometimes we just have to fill in that need because God has called us to do that. So here's the big idea from, from this passage. Whatever time, talent, or treasure God has blessed you with, you're supposed to use it to invest in the kingdom of God and change the world. Every single one of us. We're supposed to share our faith with others. We're supposed to serve others and serve God's kingdom. We're supposed to encourage others and help them find the faith that we found in Jesus. We're all called to give generously to God's kingdom work. We're called to to lead well. And we define leadership here at Valley Brook as influence. And we all have influence. We may not be a senior leader in some capacity, but we all have the ability to have influence in a, a circumference of friends that God has placed us with. And we're called to be kind. And we're called to really love others. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But as they do, I, I really want to I want to ask some questions, and they're going to show up on the screen, and they're also on the outline on, on the Bible app if you want to save them, but I think they're important. The questions that we have to ask ourselves. Here's the first one. How can I love God with all that I am? We've looked at what that looks like, but every single one of us has to answer that question. How can I love God with all that I am? Here's the second one. How can I love others like I love myself? We all know how we want to be cared for and loved, but how can I love others that same way? Here's the third one. What has God blessed me with that I can invest in the kingdom? Your time, your talent, your treasure. You know, because at the end of the life, you know, I, I'm sure we've all read and, and heard things about Queen Elizabeth's passing. And I, I, I was struck by a, a friend of mine who shared a quote with me about her faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that was powerful to hear about. But I was also struck with something I read in the news is that um, she leaves behind a, a half a billion dollars. Because she can't take it with her. And none of us can a lot of stuff that we enjoy in this earth that doesn't have eternal value. And God's called us to recognize that and draw a line between that and the things that are going to last forever and make sure that we're pouring our time, our talent, and our treasure into what really matters. So I've asked you to reflect on some questions. I want to give you a couple of opportunities to uh, help you learn more about how you can invest in the kingdom of God. We'll be starting our growth track, which is part of our membership uh, class, but it, it'll be starting next month on Wednesday nights. It'll be virtual. If you would like to learn more about what it means to be a part of Valleybrook, but also about your talents and how you can invest them in the kingdom of God, I encourage you to sign up for that. And then the second thing that I want to encourage you to do as you leave today on our welcome tables, you'll find something called Thrive Farmington Valley. Uh, Valley Brook and several other churches are putting together an equipping seminar uh, because we want to equip the body of Christ 
to invest in the kingdom of God. And you can go there, and this is a free event. It's going to be on September 23rd and 24th. Our own worship team is going to be playing at that event. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to sign up. Go to Thrive Farming Valley and sign up, and you'll have opportunities to be equipped in how to share your faith in growing as a disciple, in serving folks in the foster care area, uh, serving people in helping rescue them from human trafficking, and many other opportunities. This is all important because God has called us to be kingdom-minded and to invest in the things that matter. And the things that matter are loving God and loving people. Because at the end of our lives, those are going to be the only things that we can take with us, those friendships and our relationship with God. So let me pray for each one of us. God, we thank you for your love for us, for your care for us. We thank you that you have shown us very clearly that we need to focus on your kingdom and help build it. So Lord, we know that when we invest in your kingdom with our time, our talent, our treasure, it's investing in the things that matter and that will last forever. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that to seek first your kingdom in every day of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc. 